0: standing on the platform of truth pioneer health and missions our scripture reading for today uh, comes from uh, the book of philippians philippians 2 5 and it's on the screen and i believe in your bulletins let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now the reason I chose this, um, this verse is because I believe it summarizes everything that I'm going to say today, just in one sentence. And um, if we keep this verse in mind uh, today, I think that we will get a feel of the theme and feel of the direction uh, that I'm going with this topic. Um, Before I start, I ask that you would join me and, if possible, kneel in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share with others what has been on my heart for a while. I pray that the words that I speak, that they would be spirit and life to those that are listening and that I might be a fit channel that you can communicate your will and your truth through. Please correct me uh, where I am in error and close the ears of those things I say that might not be quite in alignment with your will. I pray that today's message would be a blessing to those that hear and would add clarity rather than confusion to this uh, difficult and hard to understand topic. I pray these things in the name of your your son Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So are you confused about the Holy Spirit? If I ask everyone today, maybe by a show of hands, do you understand, are you confident about your belief and your understanding of who and what the Holy Spirit is? How many hands would go up today? Got one, two. Got a handful. All right, well, that's good. You can all leave because uh, we're going to study and try to figure this out. No, please stay. Um, entering this movement of the Father and the Son truth, um, I have found and actually been involved in like experiencing some of the confusion on this topic Um, it's not as easy to navigate as is the Father and the Son when it comes to the Holy Spirit um, I don't believe things are quite as clear and so because of that uh, we can uh, run across quotes from scripture or quotes from Ellen White and possibly take them in a direction they weren't meant to be taken And uh, you'll see, I'll give a couple examples here, uh, what I mean by that. And this is not meant as a reproof at all, but just a a simple warning of some of the pitfalls uh, that we can encounter regarding this subject. And maybe you've encountered them yourself um, as you've been studying the the subject of the Holy Spirit. Um, The first one is uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3. Blessed be the God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of Mercies and the God of all Comfort. So that just says the Father is the God of all Comfort. Who is the Comforter? Christ is to be known by the blessed name of Comforter, right? So right there, you've got this um, this uh, tension in two directions, right? You have the Father is being suggested as Comforter, and then what we know intellectually, we know these other quotes that suggest that Christ is the Comforter. So. What I'm saying by this is taking, taking things too literally without considering the sense in which they are being said can be dangerous. Um, how about this one? John chapter 4 verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Oh, well, if I'm trying to find out who and what the Holy Spirit is and someone tells me, well, God is spirit. And then in the next sentence they say, well, Jesus is nearly identical to the Father and so he must be spirit too. Well, I came to find out who the Holy Spirit was and you just threw two other spirits in the mix, right? And so do you see how quickly your mind can get derailed uh, by some of these quotes? Now, these aren't false quotes or wrong quotes or wrong ideas uh, expressed in these quotes, but we we have to ask in what sense is the father the comforter in what sense um like in our next quote if i ask all of you who is the holy spirit i know the ones that raise their hands probably will quote letter 66 the holy spirit is what jesus christ right we want the holy spirit which is jesus christ now that is true in a sense but not contrary to the common sense that God gave you and I if we take that and run with it literally this is what will happen I ask you is Jesus Christ a divine being you would all say what Yes. yes Jesus Christ is a divine being if the Holy Spirit is Jesus Christ and I ask you do you want or do you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you you would all say, yes, or, yes, that's what I would like, right? Well, do you have a divine being living inside of you? Do you, see, do you see how much trouble you can get real fast if you take these quotes the wrong way? And so these are some of the pitfalls, and I just wanted to point them out. There's one more pitfall that's more of a, a recent development, and... Um, I'm going to show this one to you on the screen. And if you type in the phrase Holy Spirits, you will come up with four hits. One of them is the Bible commentary. So that's out. It's a duplicate. So then you're left with three hits. Two of those hits are identical. One of those hits is a variation. And I want to show you the top quote here is representing the two quotes that you will find. The bottom one is the variation. So let's read. These heavenly messengers are not attracted... This is speaking about angels, by the way. These heavenly messengers are not attracted to the crowd where minds are diverted from heavenly things. These pure and holy spirits cannot remain in the company where Jesus' presence is not desired and encouraged and his absence not marked. All right, so key in on the word these... Now look at the variation below. There, pure and holy. And this quote is preceded by the same, the same words as the other one. But she writes, Their pure and holy spirits cannot remain in the company where Jesus' presence is not desired and encouraged, and his absence is not marked. Do you see the difference? The top quote would lead the average mind to um, believe that the angels are the holy spirit whether it says it directly or not this is how this quote has been used recently and first of all neither of these quotes should be used in the context of our study that that's my own personal viewpoint Um, this is not what ellen white did not write this to teach us who and what the holy spirit is it's totally other totally different um subject and so my point here is we need to be careful of, of pitfalls and realize that if you are to use this quote, the bottom one would, would divert the mind less from the truth on the subject than the top quote. But I haven't heard anyone use the bottom quote. It's way more sensational to use the top quote because it leads the mind off somewhere where it has never been before and what I, where I believe should should not be. So that, that was just... Uh, kind of a sideline to to show some of the um, the potential pitfalls as we study this this difficult to understand topic. And today I hope to in a sense simplify or at least share with you how I approached this subject in a more simple way and uh, how it helped me. And so some of the things I'm going to share with you are things that helped me in this study and I hope it helps you too. So we're going to go through a series of words, 10 words, that are used in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. And um, by looking at these words and seeing how they were used, I believe it will get us, give us a better understanding, a clear and simple foundation for this topic so that we can build on it and continue to study. So first we're going to go to the Strong's Concordance. This is the Greek definition of the word grace. The divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. That sums up what the Holy Spirit is. And we will see that the word grace is an equivalent word to Holy Spirit. We'll see this clearly in the next couple examples. But think about this. The divine influence. Many are accusing those that believe like we do that the Holy Spirit is not just an influence. Well, I agree. It's not just an influence because like Nick said... Um, Oshkosh can have an influence There are influences all around us They're not all the Holy Spirit Some of them are unholy influences But this is the divine influence How many divine beings are there in the councils of peace? Two So this influence comes from One or more of those divine beings Because it is a divine influence Angels are not divine We are not divine We can partake of that divine nature But we are not divine this influence comes from a divine source and it works upon the heart and then it's reflected in the life that's the gospel the great controversy is to restore god's image in his people that are fallen adam and eve squandered that uh, that nature and he desires to renew and restore that image in us and that's what this is all about that is the purpose of the holy spirit And when we step back as true Seventh-day Adventists and consider the great controversy and who it's between and who is involved, the Holy Spirit subject will become more simple. And how the Holy Spirit is used in that and actually must be in that process. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no process. Without the angels, there is no process. Without two divine beings, there is no process. We are lost. But with those things, with a great controversy in mind, Salvation can happen for every one of us. Amen? Amen. All right. This is our second uh, usage of grace that we'll look at. Some seem to feel that they must be on probation and must prove to the Lord that they are reformed before they can claim his blessing. But they may claim the blessing of God even now. They must have his grace, the spirit of Christ, to help in their infirmities or they cannot resist evil. So here we see that Ellen White equates the word grace with Holy Spirit, flat out. There's no misunderstanding this. Uh, We also see that this grace enables us to resist evil. We are told in other quotes that it is the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't resist evil. So these are equivalent terms. Um, You will see step by step that we will be stepping further and further away from the traditional Trinitarian mindset when we look at the evidence, the simple, simple evidence that we all have seen before but maybe haven't put all the pieces quite together. Our next quote also confirms this same relation between um, grace and the Holy Spirit. Let every youth consider the parable of the 10 virgins. All had lamps, that is, an outward assemblance of religion, but only five of them had inward piety. Five of them were wanting in the what? The oil of grace. The spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit, was not abiding in their hearts. So there we see clearly, this oil is a symbol of what? The Holy Spirit. And also associated with grace. It's the oil of grace. So we see all uh, all these words being... Um, being equated here. The next word we're going to look at, since it was mentioned here in this quote, is the word oil. And these are the words of Christ. we got them there in red. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, there's a lot here that we don't have time to look into. But one thing that I want you to see is this word anointed. It is associated with application of oil onto the head. It symbolizes the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And we see that that is supported by the first sentence. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is when Christ stood up and read the scriptures in the synagogue. And he applied this to himself. And we know that he was anointed at his baptism and he was the anointing i believe actually took place by the father and we'll see that we'll see take a closer look into what actually happened there he was baptized by john but that anointing came from his father the two olive trees and this is uh, referring to zechariah chapter 4 the two olive trees that stand in the presence of god empty (coughs) empty through the two golden pipes The golden oil out of themselves into the golden bowl from which the lamps of the sanctuary are fed. The golden oil represents the Holy Spirit. So again, clear language um, that uh, equates or shows uh, the, the symbolism behind the oil when it is mentioned. And the reason that I'm going through these words is there are countless other places where you will see oil used. And so what helped me is it solidified in my mind that when I see these words, what comes to mind? The Holy Spirit. You know? And so this is just, these are just little samplings of um, words that can help you and bring back to mind um, things that will help you understand this topic that, that can be difficult. So this next, this next uh, quote will give us a little more information on Zechariah chapter 4. The anointed ones standing by the Lord of the whole earth have the position once given to Satan as the covering cherub. By the holy being surrounding his throne, the Lord keeps up a constant communication with the inhabitants of the earth. The golden oil represents the grace with which God keeps the lamps of believers supplied, that they shall not flicker and go out. Were it not that this holy oil is poured from heaven in the messages of God's spirit, the agencies of evil would have entire control over men. And so here we see the, um, the contribution the angels have in this process. The angels, <coughs> um, we're going to even see uh, further, are those that convey these messages and bring messages from earth to heaven and heaven to earth. But uh, we will see that the angels are simply channels. They're channels for the Holy Spirit. They are not the Holy Spirit themselves. They may have a spirit in them that is holy, but that originates where? Divinity. And that's, that's the point here. Um, now, the angels, I said, are channels, but there are other channels. Humans are channels. Prophets are channels. Um, The Bible the word of God is a channel Um, Dreams can be channels A donkey can even be a channel We know that right So God uses uh, various methods to convey messages that are from his mind to our mind And those messages are what have transforming power in our lives So um, One example, it is a worldly example, but it helped me kind of put a few of these pieces together in my own mind, is something that happens at my house every day. The mail is delivered. All right? And the mailman is simply a channel, right? He is not the message. He is a messenger, bringing as a channel a message from someone else. Now there have been instances where the mailman has a message that has to be signed for. And that is more akin to how the Holy Spirit works. The mailman comes, knocks on my door, I open it, and he has this letter, and he'll even show me who it's from, Central California Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And I'm like, I don't want that. I don't think I want to sign for that. You know? And I know some people in here didn't sign for theirs. I ended up signing for... Uh, For it, but um, he laughed he wanted to know what was uh, going on and so I got a chance to witness to him But that message was not from him and he wasn't that message. He was simply handing me that message I had a choice to either uh, accept or reject and if I would have rejected it Then he would have taken it back to the person that sent it, right? I believe it's a really good helped me It's a really good picture of how this all works because if God wants to pronounce a blessing on you by giving truth, giving you the way that he thinks on any given topic, like Dustin, this is what you need right now. If he wants to give that to me, he might use an angel, he might use one of you, he might use my wife, he might use a dream, he might use the word of God. But he gets that message to me and I can either sign for that message or I can reject it. And if I reject it, I don't receive the blessing that that message has no power in my life the message had power potential power but what I did is I rejected that and I chose not to activate that power but if I sign for it and say hey I'm all in I want this message and I want to accept it and I do accept it then that faith by faith that activates the power in that message this is the Holy Spirit this is the spirit that is in the mind of christ is in the mind of his father it's one spirit it's one way of thinking but we have a choice moment by moment to accept these ways of thinking that are that are coming to us through the channels and if we reject we don't receive the blessing so where do these messages originate they originate in the mind and specifically the mind of God, and this verse, the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And like I said, this sums up the entire study. Christ wants to impart his way of thinking to us, and uh, we can choose step by step, character trait by character trait, to accept or reject um, those blessings that God has for us. Now, these next two quotes, and these, it's interesting, these quotes I believe Ron shared in his, uh, his last sermon, and I believe that they, they say a lot. They're parallel quotes, and we will read the first one. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Now, this is Paul writing here. Now, Paul's quoting the Old Testament. Look what the Old Testament says. Look what Isaiah wrote. Who hath directed the what? Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord or being his counselor hath taught him. So Paul is recognizing that the Holy Spirit is the mind of the Lord. Flat out. He understood it. He had no problem saying we are saved by grace. He knew what grace meant. It's the Holy Spirit. We're saved by the Holy Spirit. We're saved by conforming our minds into thinking like God's mind thinks and allowing it to be changed. This next slide um, tells us a little bit about a patriarch and his mind, Enoch. Enoch walked with God. He was of one mind with God. The prophet asks, can two walk together except they be agreed? If we are of one mind with God, our will will be swallowed up in God's will and we shall follow wherever God leads the way. Doesn't that sum up what we've been seeing so far? Our mind needs to be conformed to the mind of God. Let this mind be in you. So, so far we've been primarily, as it pertains to the mind, uh, we're looking at the mind of God or the mind of Christ. And what we're going to look at now is what proceeds from the mind, and those are spoken words. And all but one of the quotes are going to uh, deal with the spoken word rather than the written word. And I wanted to say this now so that I'm not misunderstood. I am not saying that the written word, the Bible, is the Holy Spirit. But the written word has the Holy Spirit in it. The Holy Spirit was the author, right? And so um, those those words are God-breathed. Um, So I just don't want to be misunderstood uh, by that. And so all but one of these quotes uh, concerning our next word, which is um, the word, um, have to do with God speaking. And the last one is actually the word of God. But we'll see that there is power there, too. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Now, this is. Uh, Synonymous parallelism. Two parallel statements that mean the exact same thing. God's Spirit are the same as His words. When we receive His Spirit, we receive His words. We don't receive a third divine entity. And the more you study this, and the more you keep some of these things in mind, the clearer this will become. And the more it will fit with the great controversy theme, rather than the evangelical gospel this is the fork in the road is how we view God and if you view God one way it's going to conform more to an evangelical approach to the gospel this is a great controversy theme here that we're looking at John chapter 6 it is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh profiteth nothing the words that I speak unto you they are spirit and they are life now Ellen White comments on this this quote and she says Christ is not specifically... See, Christ was uh, speaking before Pharisees, right? Did the Pharisees know doctrine? They knew doctrine, right? Forwards and backwards. But did they have it in their hearts? Did, were their minds conformed to the mind of God? No. So what she says about this, she says Christ was not getting at that he was that his words or that he was talking about were doctrine. But that's the context when she... Uh, in which she said that he was primarily talking about the divinity of his character she says and so that's what christ wants to give us the divinity of his character Um, we are told that we might partake of the divine nature right in second peter and so that's what christ wants to give to us that's what he wants our focus to be on to change our mind and the doctrines will come through that interaction with his mind In Matthew we read but he answered and said it is written man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God The words of God are life to us They are our spiritual life The Holy Spirit is our spiritual life without the Holy Spirit. We have no hope of overcoming sin We have no hope of living like Christ This is what enabled Christ To live the holy life. It wasn't just head knowledge. It was an experience. In conforming his mind. To that of his father. To think the way his father does. He even said it out loud. I do nothing of myself. The things I do. They come from the father. The father tells him what to do. The father tells him what to speak. This is an example of the Holy Spirit. Working in Christ. Now Christ. Whether you want to admit it or not. Grew in grace. The scripture tells us. He grew in grace. He experienced this. This is why He is a sympathetic Savior that can minister to our needs because He went through the process first. And the result was a sinless, perfect life. And that is what He want, wishes to impart to us. Psalm 33, 6, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. And that word breath is spirit. Spirit. So here we see the creative power of God's words. Now, when you and I speak, is there creative power in those words? No, that's why I can't get up here and speak of myself. That's one huge misunderstanding in this conversation. They say, oh, well, the Holy Spirit doesn't speak of himself because he's not selfish or that he's not self-centered. No, that's not what that means. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak of himself because the Holy Spirit conveys a message that Christ sent from his mind. That's why the Holy Spirit doesn't speak of or from himself, because that message comes of or from Christ. That is the meaning of that, and that's how we are too. Unless we give a message that is of or from Christ, then it's not spirit. It's not life. But we can convey messages as a channel, a fit channel, to convey messages given from Christ. And that makes that message the Holy Spirit. The potential of changing your, transforming your character into the character of Christ. You have the choice to either reject or accept it. And if you accept by faith, then that activates the power in that word and that message. Now, I love the next verse. It comes from uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verse 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Now this gives us a picture of God speaking his will, and he is saying, when I speak my will, it's, the, the message that comes back to me, the report that comes back to me, will not be void. It'll be positive. Right? And I want to give you an example. Um, you know, many, many of us have heard that there were two people before Ellen White that received that vision. There were actually three. J.B. Finley, Foss, and Foy. Christ sent out the call. It went to Finley first, then Foss, then Foy. But his, his word did not return unto him void, right? Because who did it go to next? It went to Ellen White. And then the report came back. She accepted it. She'll give it. So this is what this is speaking of. His word goes out. His messengers convey the message. And by the time it gets back to God, it is not void. Because it accomplishes what it was sent out to do. This, I love this verse because it's a good picture of what, what is happening uh, pertaining to the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and how the Holy Spirit... Um, is a part of the plan of salvation. It's our lifeline. It's our, it's our lifeline to God. All right. So our next, our next word passage comes from letter 29. And this is the one that that applies to the written word, but I still included it because I believe it's important. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and that means divinely breathed in. And, like its author, is perfect. He who breathed into man the breath of life and made him a living soul has also breathed into his word the breath of life. Right? So this spirit is in the written word of God. It is a life-giving power. Have you ever heard that there are three powers? It's a life-giving power. This spirit is a life-giving power, and it comes to us through channels. And that power is our next word that we'll be looking at. Who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power... When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, this is is a really big verse. This could be a huge study in and of itself. But I believe it's referring to his creative power. And um, stop and think about how the Father and the Son created natural law. Think about all the things that we've seen in the Sabbath delights, the presentations about God's creation all those things are upheld by what the word the word of the lord by his creative power when he said that in this insect things should work a certain way that word did not return to him void those things worked a certain way in that insect and they continue to do so why because he spoke it there's creative power in the word of god there's not creative power in my words the only creative power that comes through me is if i'm used as a channel I am not that creative word. I will never be that creative word, but I can be fit for use as a channel if I let God do that. The word of God is the seed. Every seed has in itself a germinating principle. In it, the life of the plant is enfolded. So there is in, <clears throat> so there is in God's word. Christ says, the words that I speak, they are spirit and life. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. In every command and in every promise of the word of God is the power, the very life of God by which the command may be fulfilled and the promise realized. He who by faith receives the word is receiving the very life and the character of God. This is a... Crystal clear explanation of what we're looking at today. We receive the very life and the character of God. It's not about meeting a third being and communicating with a third being, it's about our transformation, it's about saving us from the pit of sin. And just remember again the Holy Spirit is, writ- is within the written word, it is not the word. The Holy Spirit are the words, more specifically, the mind of Christ and the mind of his father expressed in words of power. Um, The influence of the Holy Spirit is the life of Christ in the soul. Um, That message is still on the leaderboard at the church that we left. They took it down. It lasted for two years. Oh, wow, they, they read it for the first time and said, how dare the person that wrote that. <laughs> yeah, so it, I know it went past the two-year mark. But that's, that's beautiful. That, that sums it up, too. The influence of the Holy Spirit is the life of Christ in the soul. Christ's life is what is given to us. Christ's mind is what we are to let be in us. So that life, the life is our next word, and we see a river of it in Revelation chapter 22. And He showed me a river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And just note here that the um, that this throne has how many on it? It has two, and what proceeds out of it represents the Holy Spirit. This is the life-giving force that proceeds from the Father and the Son. The water that the woman received at the well, if she would accept that water, when did Christ say that she would thirst? Never again. It was the life-giving power. Was he talking about literal water? He was talking about what? The Holy Spirit. So if we connect all these dots, if we put all these pieces together, we get a clear picture that the Spirit is simply the method by which God uses to save us. It is how Christ can remain in his humanity and stay in heaven physically, but communicate with us through angels and through other channels. And those messages are not just for entertainment. Those messages are to transform us and to give us an opportunity to allow him to place that seed in our hearts. And if we accept it, we accept that seed then it will germinate it will follow that germinating principle and it will grow all profession, professions of christianity are but lifeless expressions of faith until jesus imbues a believer with his spiritual life which is the holy ghost the evangelist is not prepared to teach the truth and be the and be the representative of christ till he has received this heavenly gift so there you see, in perfect language, clear language, this spirit is his spiritual life. It's not another being. It's what he, it's what he uses to, um, to transform our hearts. It's what he uses to restore us back to the original plan. Now, uh, we can read in inspiration that the Holy Spirit is a personality, I agree the more I look into it from this perspective it makes so much more sense to me the Holy Spirit is a personality whose personality it's Christ's personality but it's not something that he gives up when we when we partake of it it's something that our personality responds to it's just like when you hang out with someone for a long time you start speaking the words that they speak you start acting out the things that they act out you start being just like them. This is why Peter was accused, right? What was he accused of? Hey, you're one of the disciples. You, you speak like him. He accidentally revealed himself because of his speech. And then he had to change his speech artificially and say something that would make them think he had nothing to do with Christ. But this is what happens when we interact and exchange communication with Christ is that we begin to think like him, act like him, talk like him. And that is what restores the image of Christ in man, is as we commune with Christ, by beholding we become changed. I don't have this on a slide, but we know that we are told not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by what? The renewing of our mind. That's what needs to be renewed, is our mind. It needs to be renewed into the image of Christ's mind, which is the Holy Spirit. That is where these messages originate, is the mind of Christ. He who drinks of the living water becomes a fountain of life. The receiver becomes a giver. The grace of Christ in the soul is like a spring in the desert, welling up to refresh all and making those Who are ready to perish eager to drink of the water of life again another clear representation of what we're trying to say here Um, not only is this life to us it is grace it is the spirit of God but it also makes us not just a receiver but a giver and what was the first thing that the woman at the well did when she received and accepted this water she went and told right so she fits, she fits the bill of this, um, this quote. Now seed, the word seed, is our next word that we're going to look at. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And so this concept of a seed being planted and also being associated with the born-again experience is what we see here. Um, we know that Christ is the husbandman, and we see that these channels are the planting, the planters of the seed. Angels plant seed, the word of God plants seed, we can plant seed. And whether or not the receiver accepts the germinating principle built into that seed determines whether or not they accept a blessing and then that seed germinates and grows. It's really simple. And that's why we are given so many different pictures of salvation is so that we can start putting all these things together in our mind and seeing these um, these principles acted out in nature which again is we said before is another channel I know there are people here that have gardens and they see these principles being acted out in their gardens and that's why it's so valuable gardening is so valuable take another look at the word seed whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. So who do we know that used this principle in their life to combat sin? This is how Christ battled sin in the wilderness. That seed was planted in his heart. That seed was accepted by him. It germinated, it grew, and he was able to recall it in the times of temptation. And by that, he overcame. The word shows the way. The spirit helps us to walk in it. You need to cling to the Lord with all your might. The word is the seed of the spirit, and the spirit is the quickening power. Be firm and full of faith and trust in God. So here we see the difference between the word of God, the written word of God, And the Holy Spirit see the force behind the written word of God is the mind of Christ that's where the power originates that's where the power is found it's not in words on a page but we say that the Bible is more than words on a page because the germinating principle that is found in that word is much more than words on a page but the spirit is in that word it isn't the spirit itself that written word so the next word that we're going to look at is the word truth. And we find this verse in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. And again, we see another angle, another picture of the same thing we've been talking about. The belief of the truth is what activates that germinating principle in our own hearts. We can believe something intellectually, but if we're not on board with our heart, mind, and soul, that, that activating principle is not, is not realized. Um, again, I don't have this on a, um, a slide, but uh, we read that... The soul is sanctified by what? Sanctified by obedience to the truth. And that fits with what the, the approach that we're taking today. Is um, we receive truth and we can either obey or disobey it, right? If we disobey it and say, no, that, the Sabbath, my whole life would change. I don't want to do that because I know how it would ruin my life. We've, di- we've rejected that truth, Right? So we don't receive the power that is behind that promise. But if we accept it, and if we obey the truth, then we are what? We are sanctified. This is he that cometh by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. This is why Jesus can say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Because this, all truth comes through the mind of Christ. All truth comes to us from the mind of Christ. And we, if we accept and believe that truth, we receive the Holy Spirit. That Spirit is the activating power behind those truths the power that has the ability to transform our hearts and convinces us to keep going and to walk in the way that he points. The next word we will look at is the word robe. And we have a, a, a couple of uh, quotes, one from scripture and one from spirit of prophecy here. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. Now this robe of righteousness, I believe is another synonymous term that that means Holy Spirit. And uh, we'll we'll see that more clearly in in the next quote. But it represents righteousness and we have no righteousness of our own. Our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. The only righteousness is that of Christ. And that righteousness is in his mind. He did not sin and the way he did not sin Was that he had this seed remaining in him and he refused to sin and he could not sin Because he was not willing to let go of that seed that was planted in him Next we get to see uh, the maker of the robe Only the covering which Christ himself has provided can make us meet to appear in God's presence This covering the robe of his own righteousness Christ will put upon every repenting, believing soul. This robe woven in the loom of heaven has in it not one thread of human devising. Christ, and I underline this, in his humanity wrought out a perfect character, and this character he offers to impart to us. By his perfect obedience, he has made it possible for every human being to to obey God's commandments. When we submit ourselves to Christ... The heart is united with his heart. The will is merged with his will. The mind becomes one with his mind. The thoughts are brought into captivity to him. We live what? His life. This is what it means to be clothed with the garment of his righteousness. And this, again, is another summary of what we've been talking about. The Holy Spirit is this garment that he wishes to impart to us. If we don't have this garment, what happened to the man that was without a wedding garment? He was thrown out in outer darkness, right? The the Holy Spirit is required for salvation, brothers and sisters. There's no entering heaven without the Holy Spirit. So we better be clear on who or what the Holy Spirit is. Or else how are we going to receive something we know nothing of? It's our responsibility to know everything we can that is revealed to us concerning the Holy Spirit. Not to go beyond that, not to go into sensationalism, but to know what we're told clearly from Scripture. And that, that will be our saving grace. No pun intended. All right, so we're going to look at another word here, the word dove. And this is going to show us, we just have two, um, two instances of this that we'll look at first one found in Matthew. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Um, we're all familiar with this passage, and we see the dove present, and we, see the father's, we hear the Father's voice speaking here, and we know that Christ is there. And this is typically evidence given that there is the trinity all here one place at one time but this ellen white quote makes it perfectly clear what is actually going on at this event never before had angels listened to such a prayer as christ offered at his baptism and they were solicitous to be the bearers of the message from the father to his son now stay on the stay on the slide here but i want to say something it's clear here that the, that the common practice is that angels bear the message, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't have been asking to do this. So I think that's one thing that's clear here. So we read on. But no, direct from the Father issues the light of his glory. The heavens were opened and beams of glory rested upon the Son of God and assumed the form of a dove in appearance like burnished gold. The dove-like form was emblematical of the meekness and gentleness of Christ. While the people stood spellbound with amazement, their eyes fastened upon Christ. From the opening heavens came these words. And I believe this is the most important part of the text. It's not the dove. It's the words, these words. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The words of the confirmation that Christ is the son of God were given to inspire faith in those who witness the scene, and to sustain the Son of God in His arduous work. Notwithstanding, the Son of God was clothed with humanity, yet Jehovah, with His own voice, assures Him of His Sonship with the Eternal. In this manifestation to His Son, God accepts humanity as exalted through the excellence of His beloved Son. So those beams of light and glory that came direct from the throne of God that took the form of a dove were called in the Bible the Holy Spirit now that was a manifestation of the reality that was happening at the scene what was the reality happening at the scene it was the anointing of Christ by his father it was it it was those words that he spoke this is my beloved son and those words could have been accepted or rejected by Christ whether you like it or not he could have said no 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 no, I'm not the son of God then he would not have received the blessing it was a message from heaven it was the Holy Spirit a message from a divine being that was given to him for encouragement and he could have accepted or denied it as truth he accepted it he accepted it as encouragement and that fit him to go into the wilderness to be tempted You see how this works? The Bible says it's the Holy Spirit, but we see it was the blessing of God. It was the message from God's own mouth. That is the Holy Spirit. And it didn't come through a channel. It went straight to the Son. Now that's not the standard mode of operation. We could not handle messages direct from the Father. We could not handle His voice proclaiming something that like this to us but christ could and we'll see why he could because he's the ladder and that that's uh that's going to lead us to our final word and that is ladder specifically jacob's ladder and i just have um one quote that spans two slides here and this will be our last quote but i think that this gives a real clear picture of um, of what's going on and uh, a clearer picture of who the Holy Spirit is. At immense cost, he opens a way of refuge for the sinner, providing that through the work of the Holy Spirit, man shall be transformed into an obedient child of God, a loyal subject of his kingdom. He who receives Jesus Christ as his personal Savior also is provided with heavenly protection, that's the angels, and heavenly light. Those are the messages. For the angels of God are sent to minister to those who shall be heirs of salvation. The representation given to Jacob of the ladder whose base rested on earth upon earth and whose top reached the throne of God, whereon ascended and descended the angels of heaven is a representation of the plan of salvation. So that that ladder is simply a representation of the plan of salvation. Everything about salvation is all wrapped up in that ladder. Had the ladder failed to connect with earth by one inch, the connection between earth and heaven would have been broken and man would have been hopelessly lost. For the ladder is planted firmly on the earth, that's Christ's humanity, his full humanity, that heaven may connect with earth and that the fallen sons of men be redeemed and rescued. Christ is the ladder that Jacob saw. So again, the whole salvation plan is wrapped up in Christ. Whose base is upon earth, his humanity, and whose topmost round reaches the throne of God, his full divinity. Down this ladder streams the glory of God. And on it ascend and descend the angels of heaven to communicate the light of the glory of God, whose train fills the temple, to the lost children of earth. Through Christ, heavenly intelligences may communicate with human agents. Now look at at that last section that I, I bolded there. The angels ascend and descend to communicate what? The light and glory of God. What did we learn was the light and glory? Scripture says it's the Holy Spirit. And so those angels... Communicate the Holy Spirit to us. They are not the Holy Spirit themselves. But they are facilitators, they are channels, just like you and I can be a channel, and just like other things can be a channel for God to reach our hearts with the Holy Spirit. So there's no denying that angels have a a large part in the plan of salvation. It can't happen without them. But salvation also can't happen without the two divine beings. THAT IN THE COUNCILS OF PEACE CAME UP WITH ALL OF THIS. IT CAN'T HAPPEN WITHOUT YOU AND I. GOD God HAD SOMEONE TO SAVE, BUT HE ALSO ALLOWS US (coughs) TO HAVE THE PRIVILEGE TO WORK AS CHANNELS WITH HIM AND WITH THE ANGELS. Uh, WE LEARNED that, uh, THAT NATURE, NATURE'S LESSON BOOK, CAN ALSO BE A CHANNEL divine revelation can be a channel and that can come through many channels. We know that Ellen White received revelation from Christ. She spoke with Christ directly. And so we can't uh, paint ourselves into a corner when it comes to the plan of salvation. It's so broad and so beautiful. We'll be studying this throughout eternity. But in summary, I just want to uh, express how much these things have helped me knowing that uh, Christ wants to give me his mind. I mean, I'm t- we're told that let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that sums up everything he's trying to do to save mankind. If we just allow that mind to be in us, if we start thinking, if we, if we want to and accept the way that Christ thinks about any given subject, then we accept the Holy Spirit because the Spirit that is in him is holy. It can be nothing else. It's sinless and holy, and that's where all holiness originates with Christ and His Father. Amen. All communication, all the plan of salvation, comes through Christ, and is distributed and and conveyed through channels. And I just I just hope that um, that everything I said today would would have helped make this subject. Um, maybe just a little more clearer and a little less confusing even if it just did that for one or two people it's worth it to me because these are the things that um, that helped me and uh, given me a clear understanding of who the holy spirit is and with that i ask that um, you would uh, not only pray for me pray for phm and uh Yeah, the entire ministry and also those missions that are being formed that are like us here. um, They are comprised of people that want to do the Lord's work and want to finish the work. And we can't do that without your prayers. And so with that being said, I ask that you would join me uh, if you can in kneeling in prayer. Dear Father in Heaven, I thank you so much for the opportunity to share what was on my heart today. I pray that the words that I spoke would have come across as as light from Heaven and that the words I spoke were not of myself but were from a higher source. I pray that your angels would attend any truth that was spoken, spoken in this message and that those seeds of truth would germinate in those that have heard it. I pray that those seeds would, would spring up into everlasting life for those that appreciate the truths that you have given us and that we will want to share and continue to share those truths with others until the work is finished that you have given your remnant church. And I pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. standing on the platform of truth pioneer health and missions